The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. Special Correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And welcome, everybody. It's Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. Uh, we're broadcasting live in Detroit, Washington, D.C., and we're going to rebroadcast again tomorrow, Thursday. Remember, at 7 a.m. in Detroit on WNZK AM 690, and on Thursday tomorrow in Chicago at 12 noon on WNWI AM 1080, which is a big station that covers the Chicago land area. Today, we're going to talk about President Joe Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia, uh, Israel and uh, Palestinian territories. Biden is in Israel right now. And uh, later, he'll meet with Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas. What will come of all this? So we're going to talk with two guests, Salman El Ansari, a Saudi researcher, and David Schenker, a former Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Department of State. We also have some clips that I'll play from an interview I did with Dennis Ross, the former Middle East point man for President Clinton's Israeli-Palestinian peace drive. I did that earlier today. Uh, right now, I want to welcome our first guest, Salman Al Ansari. Salman, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Ray. I'm happy to so, have you. Thank you so much. Selman is a Saudi researcher and frequent media commentator. You've probably seen his stuff all over in the big media um, on Saudi and Gulf regional issues. He's the founder and president of the Washington, D.C. based Saudi American Public Relation Affairs Committee. Um, yeah, so this is kind of an exciting uh, news week for Saudi Arabia. It is. It is actually expected. Um, thank you so much, Ray, for having me. Uh, it's a privilege to be in Arab news. Um, so basically, I think it has been seen with uh, with uh, with positivity, definitely, as you said. So President Biden's visit to Saudi Arabia is seen as a triumph of pragmatism versus ideology. It can also be seen as a way for the White House to rectify its trajectory with regards to its Middle Eastern policy. Um, another thing is that the Biden administration I think has realized that their orchestrated unethical campaign against the crown prince was a big failure and it was uh, counterproductive for the U.S. interest in the region and globally. So, and, and indefinitely, Saudi Arabia appreciates the United States. Uh, it's a nation of institutions, etc. And uh, the kingdom believes that the U.S. national security is an extension to global security and the U.S. economic prosperity is an extension to global economic prosperity. And I also want to quote uh, uh, Princess Rima bint Bandar al-Saud. She is the uh, Saudi ambassador to the U.S., yeah, she said Saudi-American relationship is the cornerstone 
of global security or basically stability, she said. Saudi-American relationship is the cornerstone of global stability. And I personally, uh, personally asked the Secretary General of the Muslim World League, uh, Sheikh Mohammed Al-Isa, who is considered to be the highest Islamic spiritual authority. Uh, and he literally told me, like after I asked him, what does he think about the US uh, uh, right now? And he said, the United States is the biggest friend of the whole Muslim world. So, so the Saudis really appreciate the United States and they want them to be back uh, to their normal stance, to, to, to be a, a real global superpower that can actually uh, um, 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 maintain the peace uh, globally. Do you think the, the uh, trip is going to uh, have a positive uh, uh, effect in terms of strengthening the relationship between the two nations? I mean, what does it mean for the future? Uh, between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia. Okay, so the relationship has been like uh, there for more than uh, 76 years. So we are speaking of almost eight decades. And I would uh, quote uh, the secretary, uh, um, uh, the State Department secretary, um, Mr. Blinken, and he said that the U.S. Uh, Saudi relation is important and bigger than any individual. So I think both parties understand the importance of of, of this mutual relationship and very uh, beneficial relationship. Let's not forget that the uh, Saudi, Saudi Arabia is considered to be the biggest trading partner for the United States in the Middle East. Um, and when it comes to Saudi Arabia, the US is considered to be the second. And also for the United States globally, Saudi Arabia is considered to be number 12 biggest trading partner uh, for the United States globally. So we're speaking of a very important relationship. And let's not forget the fact that Saudi Arabia is the center and heart of the Arab and Muslim world. You cannot basically uh, solve any issue in the Middle East or the Arab or Muslim world without getting Saudi Arabia to be involved. And, and Saudi Arabia has been involved heavily uh, since the beginning of the relationship. Let's not forget that there are actually three pillars I would call them three pillars of the Saudi-U.S. Uh, initiatives and the Saudi-U.S. Uh, partnership that they that happened uh, throughout history. Uh, the first was uh, selling oil with cheap prices to, to to the United States, and that's very essential and important for the U.S. to 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 become what it became. And the second thing was to to to, to foil the Marxist, uh, socialist, uh, communist uh, 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 um, uh, doctrine in the Middle East and and globally. And Saudi Arabia worked with the United States to combat uh, communism. And the third pillar was to counter terrorism. And let's not forget the fact that Saudi Arabia has been uh, the biggest uh, victim. Uh, and it was on the receiving end of uh, most of the Al-Qaeda and ISIS uh, terrorist uh, uh, attacks. Saudi Arabia received more than 60 uh, terrorist attacks from Al-Qaeda and more than 35 uh, terrorist attacks from Daesh, from ISIS. And Saudi Arabia worked with the United States to obliterate uh, um, ISIS and Al-Qaeda also in Yemen and in so many different uh, places like in Iraq and Syria. So I think the relationship between the two nations um, is super important for global uh, security and for uh, global economic prosperity. And and, and also I would uh, quote uh, the Defense uh, Secretary, uh, Mr. Lloyd Austin, he said, he reaffirmed actually uh, with, uh, with the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, um, the importance of the strategic defense partnership between both countries. So we're not speaking of a relationship that is having one part to be a, a burden on the other. No, both uh, parties are actually having a win-win uh, partnership that can actually uh, secure the interests of both parties. 
Now, obviously, uh, President Biden is coming here in the middle of his midterm elections. Um, this is significant. He's been to uh, Israel, for example, 10 times. Um, his first trip it, to the Middle East is to Israel and then Saudi Arabia. I think President Barack Obama's first trip, he didn't go to Israel until his second term. Um, and the politics, though, are different today. Uh, is it true that the Saudi Arabians have better relations with the Republicans leadership than they do with the Democrats? And if it is true, what, what do you think needs to be done to change that and improve relations with the Democrats? Will Biden's trip help that? Uh, you know, if if, yeah. in fact, you agree that the Republicans have a better relationship uh, than the Democrats with the uh, Saudis. Yeah, I think Saudi Arabia for throughout the history, Saudi Arabia has been maintaining a very uh, neutral and very uh, um, prosperous relations with both the Democratic and the, the Republicans. I don't actually fall into the idea of Saudi Arabia is only um, like a big friend for the Republicans, not the, the Democrats. Actually, this, the whole relationship started with a Democratic president, Franklin Roosevelt, in 1945. And also we've had great relations with, with Bill Clinton. We've had great relations with so many different uh, democratic leaders like uh, uh, Jimmy Carter, etc. So I don't see it this way, but the problem is what's happened has been, uh, it was like a recent thing that happened with uh, with uh, with the digital kind of uh, world and information uh, 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 booming, where you had the Democrats to somehow move towards becoming um, unfortunately, I would say an ideologue in, in, in some sort. So they are not as pragmatic as they used to be. So that's what show that the Saudi somehow is more in line with, uh, with, with the Republicans. But in fact, that the, that the Saudi-US relations, despite the differences between the two parties, are actually uh, very important. And it's all about the US uh, um, um, uh, administration. If they see the US interest to be uh, somewhere, they should actually follow to, to, to enhance uh, these interests, not to, to cripple them just by some uh, very um, vague moral kind of uh, um, uh, justifications, etc. And and let's let's be very frank. Like I think also Saudi Arabia has has hasn't done enough when it comes to telling its story to to the West. So I think there is a a part on the Saudis that they should be actually more uh, active when it comes to media outreach, when it comes to reaching the American people, reaching out to to to, to the to the whole community. Let's like Ray, for example, um, the World Bank in 2020, the World Bank itself has said that had a report called Women, Business and Law 2020. And this report has said Saudi Arabia was the biggest reformer in that year when it comes to women, with more than 90 new laws in favor of women rights. So we didn't see this to be in any major media outlet. So there must be something uh, to be done from both parties, the Saudis and the Americans. So, yeah. So, yeah. Uh I'm going to play a clip uh, just on that very topic. I was going to hold it till later, but uh, uh, let me play this clip that I did with uh, Dennis Ross earlier today, where he talked about the transformation of how Saudi Arabia is changing. Uh, let me just do that real quick and then tell me what you think about it um, sure. once we uh, get it going. Saudi Arabia is transforming itself in a way that addresses the needs, not just of Saudi Arabia, but it, it may be creating a model uh, in a region that at least among the Arabs has never had a successful model of development. That's hugely in our interest. The reason there's been 
the reason we've seen so much turmoil and conflict is precisely because extremists on both ends, whether they were radical nationalists or they were radical Islamists, they said, we have the answer for the, the failure of these states to advance. Uh, and they didn't by definition. And here is a new model, at least for a larger state. Some of the smaller states obviously have been effective, but their populations are very small. Here you have a larger Arab state that is undertaking a fundamental approach to modernization. And if it succeeds in that, it sends a message to the rest of the region that there's a different way. And you put your finger on something. There's been a promotion of region of religious tolerance. We had Muhammad Al-Isa give the sermon uh, for the Eid. Here is someone who made a trip to Auschwitz, who is emphasized entirely respect for other faiths and promoting uh, inter-religious dialogues. Now, some clearly attacked him uh, because of what he represents and what he stands for. And he was the one asked by the crown prince to give this sermon. It speaks volumes about the changes that are taking place uh, in Saudi Arabia. And so, yes, I think, I hope this, this visit and some of what's likely to emerge from the visit in terms of agreements in the high-tech area, in the area of renewable energy. Uh, I hope some of this will shine a spotlight on the changes that are taking place within Saudi Arabia that have received far little attention, far less attention than it should have. And uh, that was something that I taped uh, earlier today with uh, Dennis Ross, who worked with uh, George H.W. Bush and then... Uh, uh, Bill Clinton, he was like the point man for the peace process, which unfortunately failed uh, during uh, Clinton's eight years. And then he also did uh, a lot of work with uh, Barack Obama. But that that topic that he talks about, it's almost like there's a surprise from the West a little bit at the uh, transformation, this movement toward, you know, openness for, uh, you know, uh, freedoms for women. Um, we talk about for I was when I talked to. Uh, Ross, I, I pointed out, I said, listen, when the United States was freeing the slaves, it didn't happen in one day, right? It took 150 years to actually, and some may say even longer, and it's still progressing, but it's far better today than it was 100 years ago. Um, and I And shouldn't that be the way we look at Saudi Arabia, that you could look at it and criticize anything you want, but women today are, are having uh, much more freedoms in Saudi Arabia. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this is one of the things that actually um, is considered to be like puzzling for all of us. Um, when we see the human rights uh, reports and the human rights organizations to be um, lashing Saudi Arabia for things that they haven't done, actually like all the things that they were talking about, or most of them were actually things that happened seven, eight years ago. So I don't know, is it a matter of them not being updated or is it a matter of them being just against Saudi Arabia, whether they do the right thing or not? So, and yeah, and nobody can deny the fact that the kingdom has undertaken tremendous economic, administrative, social, uh, and, 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 and economic reforms, reducing its dependence on oil from 92% to, to, to around 65% in just four years. In addition, Saudi Arabia uh, received uh, 
um, um, a host of accolades from both private and governmental institutions over 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 the past uh, uh, year and for the past two years as well. Edelman, uh, a very famous American institution, uh, reported that the government of Saudi Arabia is one of the most trusted governments in the world, according to its 2021 Trust Barometer report. So imagine. And we don't see this in mainstream media. We don't see it in mainstream media. The, the, the U.S. has relations with a lot of countries who I, I, I would say are worse. And we don't have the focus on them the way the Saudis do on the Saudis. Over the years, I think when the United States has needed help, the Saudis have been there to help the American people. Absolutely. Even on the issue of the Middle East, when we talk about the Palestinians and the Israelis, what was the first thing the Saudis said? They said, yeah, we want to have peace. We want to normalize what you need to deal with the Palestinian-Israeli uh, problem to do that. Uh, those are really strong, principled words um, that often get pushed aside because of other issues that may or may not be legitimate that need to be addressed. But it, it seems like uh, what needs to be done? Is it the Saudis that need to do more or is it the Americans that also need to understand this relationship better than they have. Yeah, I actually, you remind me of a question I received, um, whether I was worried about Saudi-US relations. And I actually said, no, I don't, I'm not worried about Saudi-US relations. What I'm worried about is US-US relations. So what's going on right now between this right and the left um, has far reaching consequences, not only for the United States, but for the whole world. So. Um, and we are kind of seeing the whole situation to be unfolding in a negative manner when it comes to the dynamics between the two American uh, parties. And this is a, a, a very alarming uh, a situation because we want the United States to be stable. We want the United States to be strong. We want the United States to be looking after its uh, uh, interests, not to look after its uh, merely uh, ideological kind of uh, understandings of, of life. So um, I don't think we should worry about Saudi-US relations. What we should worry about is US-US relations. Yeah, so, I think I was going to say yeah. the US is in a polarized uh, political dynamic. There's no middle ground. They're extremists exactly. on both sides. And it seems like the Saudis are being dragged into the fight as the other Absolutely. countries are being dragged in, not of your own making, but because the left or the right wants to use something against the other side. Is that what's happening? And, and this goes back to that other question about Republicans and Democrats. I know it's not the Saudis that look at our politics and see preferences on one side or the other, but the parties seem to look at the Saudis with a different perspective, like the Republicans and the Democrats. Is Biden's trip going to shore up, you think, the way Democrats look at Saudi Arabia? Will that happen? I'm not actually very sure. Uh, will that have a, an impact? Absolutely. But like how big of an impact it will have on the perception of Saudi Arabia uh, 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 with the Democrats. But the one fact is that the most important reality is that the Saudi that uh, the Saudi Kingdom is the indisputable heavyweight of the region. And as I said, it's the heart and the center of the Arab and Muslim world. It's the largest economy in the region. And and yeah, and under the leadership of King Salman and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, what, it has 
it has set to become one of the main hubs of of, of so many different uh, domains, cultural, trade, technological innovation in the world. So I think uh, the U.S. has uh, no option but to strengthen its uh, relations with the, with the kingdom because both nations need each other. That's the point. Nobody is a follower of the other. They are tell, partners. Tell us what the Saudis need from Biden. I assume it has a lot to do with Iran. And what do you think Biden will bring back from this trip to the United States from Saudi Arabia? Okay. So with regards to Iran, um, let's go back to history a little bit. Um, in 2009, when uh, President Obama took, uh, uh, um, like he became like a president, he basically didn't support the Green Revolution in Iran, which was something okay, we understood that, even though it was like a golden opportunity for the Americans to do something against the radical Iranian regime, but they didn't. But later on, two years afterward, in 2011, President Barack Obama actually supported uh, um, a regime change in Egypt, and he was one of the reasons that he pushed Hosni Mubarak to, 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 even though he was like actually. Um, one of the longest uh, uh, allies of the United States for more than 30 years. That was a very alarming um, position for all the Gulf countries, specifically for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, so we are kind of seeing like double standards. We're kind of seeing like a lot of, um, I would call it appeasement with Iran, where you go hard on the Arab uh, uh, governments and also with the PSD 11, the secret document that has been leaked with through WikiLeaks, which showed that President Biden was actually um, uh, very interested to um, have change in the Arab world through Islamist organizations such as the Muslim Brotherhood. These things, these mistakes were 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 huge, and 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 the kingdom can never forget these mistakes. So all what we need from the Biden administration is to to, to, to have a step back and look at the mistakes that they have done. And let's also not forget the fact of handing Iraq to the Iranian uh, regime in a silver platter. So, so, and also how terrorist militias have started to come from Iraq and Syria, etc. And all these things had something to do with the wrong U.S. policies with regards to invading Iraq from the first place. Um, 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 which Saudi Arabia and, and, and uh, Prince Saud al-Faisal, the former um, uh, Minister of International Affairs in Saudi Arabia, he warned the U.S. He said, do not invade Iraq because the moment you get rid of Saddam, you get rid of one problem, but you're going to create more problems. And one of them is sectarianism. Mm -hmm. So you see how the Saudis are actually seeing the situation with regards to uh, uh, the U.S. So the concerning trend is is that the U.S. and the West seem to have adopted a softer and arguably more um, um, impotent attitude toward uh, global terrorism. Um, and this uh, signals um, that they were collectively um, fed up with the fight, with their fight maybe, or expecting terrorism to somehow handle itself so, 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 so that they could work on, on what they deem to, to, to be more pressing matters. Um, so, so, so the U.S. led hesitance to result, uh, re, re, resolutely like deal with terrorism has only made terrorists uh, more brazen, um, uh, causing their networks to, 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 to flourish 
across the Middle East flourish in in in, in the bad uh, uh, sense and, and and definitely abroad and also in the Middle East and 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 yeah and we all see the humanitarian situation of the countries where Iran has been uh, putting its 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 fingers there so or its hands and we have seen how they have handed Afghanistan to Taliban again so the U.S. credibility ha- let's be very frank has gone to an unprecedented law low so 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 i don't know how things will be will be will be will be seen and how 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 president biden will will deal with this but i saw that biden today president biden talked with an israeli channel and he talked about having the military option on the table will that be a real option because we didn't see him to be threatening with any stick with regards to iran all what he was doing uh, is just throwing carrots the whole up time. Up until now, up until now. And what do you think Biden might bring back from Saudi Arabia to the U.S.? Some people think of Saudi as being producing more oil, etc. Um, I don't think that's going to happen in a dramatic kind of manner because Saudi Arabia is committed to OPEC plus agreements. And, and and let's not forget that the issues of high energy prices are not related to to, to the lack of supply of oil, but but rather um, the effect of the geopolitical tensions in Europe, and and the fact that Russia supplies 30% of Europe's oil and 40% of gas demand. So we are speaking of uh, a very complex uh, situation. And uh, the Secretary General of OPEC, um, may God. Um, uh, forgive his soul, who passed away recently. I remember he said, uh, Muhammad Barkindo, Muhammad Barkindo, I think his name, Muhammad Barkindo. He said, um, there is no immediate solution to the rise in oil prices. So we should put that in mind. Um, but definitely Saudis, would, the Saudis would uh, try their, their best to align with the U.S. Uh, view of the region. Uh, but both, it takes two to tango. So both parties should work to to, to find a way through which they can uh, confront the aggressions of the radical Iranian regime and to confront uh, uh, terrorism and also to enhance their um, um, uh, their capabilities and defense capabilities um, against all uh, sort of uh, terrorist militias such as the Houthis, etc. And, and, and yeah, and I think that the Saudis will be having the opportunity to explain to the Biden administration their position with regards to Yemen, because let's imagine it this way, Ray. Imagine if Saudi Arabia didn't interfere in Yemen, what you would be having. You would be having ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and both have been obliterated by the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and its coalition in Yemen. But you don't see the mainstream media to speak about that. Maybe it's part of us not being active on that uh, front. And And another thing is that the Houthis would be controlling the Strait of Mandeb, and more than 20% of the world trade goes through that strait. So imagine if the Houthis have it their hands. It would be significant. Exactly. If the Houthis yeah. have their hands on that strait, that means the Iranians have their hands on that strait. So you see how important that war was to 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 to, to confront the, the, the Iranian uh, militias. But Saudi Arabia right now offered uh, a truce, and right now they are committed to it. And we we and the kingdom is actually pushing for a political solution by all means. So all right, uh, listen, Salman, I so appreciate you joining us. I have to bring you back. Maybe after the trip, we could look back at all this and see what happens. My guest, uh, Salman Al Ansari, uh, Saudi researcher.
um, and frequent media commentator on Saudi and Gulf regional issues. He's the founder and president of the Washington, D.C. based Saudi American Public Relations Affairs Committee. Salman, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Ray. I really enjoyed it. All right. We're going to take a break, everybody. And when we come back, we're going to talk with David Schenker, who is the uh, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Near Eastern Affairs. I'm Ray Hanania, and you are listening to and watching, hopefully, The Ray Hanania Show. We'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Five-year-old Lila and her mom are on their way home from Grandma's singing Lila's favorite song. A few blocks away, 25-year-old Dylan is visiting friends at a small party. He finishes off his last beer, Later, skater. gets in his truck, and starts for home. Mom and Lila turn onto Maple Street. So does Dylan. Every 50 minutes in the United States, someone dies in a crash involving a driver impaired by alcohol or drugs. If you're impaired and you know it, don't drive. Drive sober. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. What's my ETA? Your estimated time of arrival is 9.17. I'm late. I'll have to punch it. Speeding will save you just one minute and 36 seconds. It will also increase your risk of a crash, as well as the odds that you will be stopped and issued an expensive speeding ticket. Yeah, but... In one year, there were 22,000 speeding-related crashes in Michigan, resulting in 200 deaths. If I had someone in the car with me, I'd drive slower. But it's just me. This is not a logical response. Though you have no passenger, surrounding cars contain 27 others, including five children and one Labrador retriever. (laughs) How do you know all this stuff? I know everything, Kevin. Your risk of a crash increases with every mile you drive over the speed limit. So slow down. Speed enforcement is happening now. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. 
The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit arabnews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. Special Correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And welcome back to the radio show, everybody. We had a lot of people watching us on Facebook, people listening to us in Detroit and Washington, D.C. And again, we're rebroadcast in Detroit tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. on WNZK AM 690. And in Chicago, uh, we're broadcast uh, on Thursday at 12 noon on 1080 a.m., which is a big station which covers the six-county region out there, which is a lot of people. I'm really honored to have our, this next guest because I remember uh, I, we didn't, I don't think we ever actually met, but I was on several of his teleconference calls when he was uh, he is a former deputy assistant secretary for Near Eastern Affairs, and he is now with the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. Uh, and we're hoping to discuss uh, President Biden's visit to the Middle East, Israel and Saudi Arabia. He served under President George W. Bush and President Donald Trump. Welcome to the program, David. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Ray. I, I really appreciate it. And obviously this trip to uh, uh, Israel and the Palestinian territories in Saudi Arabia is kind of a big deal. Um, and uh, what what do you think Biden is hoping to get out of Saudi Arabia? And what do you think Saudi Arabia is hoping to get out of Biden? Well, listen, uh, greetings to your viewers and listeners out there. Um, it is a pretty major trip. It's the first uh, of the president's trips to the, the Middle East uh, in the past 18 months to become president. I think um, uh, certainly the, the keystone of this is the trip to Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, when, he, when President Biden came to office, uh, gas was $2 a gallon. It's now $5 a gallon on the East Coast. Um, he really wants Saudi Arabia, uh, our other Gulf partners, UAE, Kuwait, others, uh, Qatar, <clears throat> to increase production, um, to lower the price of oil. Um, there's limitations in terms of, of uh, capacity to, to surge uh, production, but also um, really some problems with uh, refining capacity. But in any event, that's you know top on the agenda. Uh, he's also trying to reset the relationship with Saudi Arabia. This was uh, uh, basically a deliberate scuttling of the relations with Saudi Arabia. The president came to came to office saying that uh, MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, was a pariah, that there was no socially redeeming value of, of his regime, and that he intended on, on trying to uh, marginalize uh, a guy who is probably, you know, uh, going to be the next king of Saudi Arabia for 40 years. So um, that clearly didn't work. And I think the president understood that um, we need Saudi Arabia for a number of things. Um, not only oil, but in terms of getting a policy together on, on Russia and Ukraine and, and a whole host of other issues. And then there's the Israel part of the, of the trip, the Israel and Palestinian Authority, which is 
to solidify the relationship, to talk about regional security cooperation between Israel and, and um, Abraham Accords partners, uh, but also countries like Saudi Arabia. Um, and going to uh, the Palestinian Authority to reiterate uh, longstanding um, support for the two-state solution. Although, uh, you know, I don't think that uh, anybody has much hope that we're going to get much forward movement on a peace process anytime soon. And, and I know earlier I had uh, earlier today, I interviewed uh, one of your colleagues at uh, uh, at the um, Washington Institute for Near East Policy, um, Dennis Ross. And uh, let, let me play. Let me just play this brief clip from him where he talks about what he thinks um, the Saudis can get and what he thinks the U.S. can get um, in that uh, relationship. Let me just try that real quick here. It's always a technological thing to do this, but uh, there it is. Let's do that. But I think it's going to achieve several things. Uh, I think it's going to reestablish uh, the U.S.-Saudi relationship and really a relationship of partnership. I think it's important to reestablish that. I think there were there were tensions on both sides. It wasn't just on one side, it was on both sides. But I think this the relationship is going to be put back on a solid footing, and that's critical. Look, I think we're going to see agreements emerge uh, on 5G and telecommunications. Uh, I think we're going to see agreements emerge on the future of green energy. Uh, this is uh, very much in America's interest, but it's also very much in Saudi interest. I think we will see agreements in the security defense area. I think we're going to see much more integrated approach to security in the region. From a Saudi standpoint, that has the benefit of embedding the U.S. more in the region. The more you see greater integration of air, early warning, missile defense, the more that's the case, it means the more the U.S. is embedded under the umbrella of Central Command. But it's also from America's interest because the more there's integration, where the countries in the region are sharing with each other, not just with the United States, the more that shares the burden. So our role, which is gonna be more embedded in the region is also more sustainable as a result. So this, this is a relationship that meets the needs of both sides. I think we're gonna see that emerge from this trip. All right, and uh, let's go back there. So do you, and I, I'm not trying to pit you against him, but do you agree with that uh, perspective? I mean, you. You actually were part of different administrations that had different outlooks um, than the current one. And uh, I wondered, it, is that the same goal and the same expectation? Yeah, I, I, no, I agree with Dennis. Um, so as when I served as Assistant Secretary of the Trump administration, um, you know, we embraced Saudi Arabia. We, we knew that there were certain things that, that, that occurred over the years, and we could talk about those that were problematic. We tried to hold them to the account, accountable to the degree that we could. But um, at the same time, we recognize this is an increasingly important partner, particularly if you, um, not only from the energy point of view, but strategically, if, if you want to contain, restrain, um, et cetera, back your allies vis-a-vis Iran, uh, Saudi is critical. Um, if you want to have this type of regional strategic integration, whether that's missile defense, shared um, air picture, drone, you know, counter drone, um, Saudi, UAE, um, uh, Qatar, uh, Jordan, um, you know, at some point Egypt, um, these are all important partners. You're going to have to work with them. You're going to have to embrace them. Um, and uh, this is not only in their interest, it's in our interest across the board. 
Yeah, I know the past administration under President Trump was more aggressive about wanting to work with not just the Saudis, but the Gulf um, and a number of Arab countries. That isn't how it started here, as you pointed out earlier, coming out of the campaign. Although I think uh, Ambassador Ross said that, uh, you know, the and, and I've covered politics 45 years. What you say during a campaign often gets thrown out when you finally get into office. But it still was a rough start, wasn't it? Um, is this Biden's attempt to uh, correct the damage that may have been caused during that period? Yeah, this was a self-inflicted wound. He, he didn't uh, move past the campaign. Um, he got stuck on this issue. Um, and I, I think it, it hurt, hurt policy. Um, you know, policy is always uh, balancing your principles right, the American values versus American interests. And they don't always intersect, um, you know, uh, so human rights is important. Um, now how do you balance, for example, I mean, for President Biden, how do you balance um, human rights in Saudi Arabia versus human rights in Egypt? Now, I travel to both places. I've spent a great deal of time in Egypt. Um, you know, it, it's not clear to me that there's a material difference. And yet uh, the president was had a sort of this visceral reaction that he wanted to punish um, Saudi Arabia and MBS. And um, I think that this is the trip um, and the reset is really a, a triumph of uh, pragmatism over principle for the president. Um, he may still believe that uh, what MBS did was beyond the pale. Um, and yet uh, we are a nation. We have interests and uh, we have values and you have to balance them. And this is, uh, I think, uh, the product of that that type of uh, of struggle. Yeah, I, I agree with you that, you know, the U.S., we tend to have friends who have problems. We don't bring those problems up. And then we have friends who have problems and we make a big deal out of it. And that seems to be uh, the case with Saudi Arabia. And not saying the issues are not uh, justified or need don't need to be addressed, but it seemed to be like a little bit of a double standard there. Um, when uh, with Biden there now, assuming that this is the fact that I think he selected Saudi Arabia sends a message that he's taking it more serious. As you point out, it is a reset for him. Can he bring that back and sell that to the Democratic Party uh, when he comes back, do you think? Or is it going to be harder to deal with the Democrats than it will be with the Saudis, who I know are welcoming uh, the continued relationship with the U.S. Yeah, Saudis, I was in Saudi about a month and a half ago. They're very pleased at the prospect of, of getting back on solid footing. They saw this as a, a little road bump. You know, we had 1973 and the oil embargo. We had, even during the Trump administration, there was a point where the president of the administration got very angry with Saudi Arabia for overproducing, overproducing um, oil that was driving the fracking um, business, you know, under. Um, I think the president will get beaten up pretty hard from uh, from the far left of his party. And even, you know, uh, even the, the Democratic uh, senator from uh, from Connecticut, Chris Murphy, will uh, may go after him a little bit. <clears throat> you know, the president wrote an op ed in the, the Wall Street and sorry, the Washington Post, um, justifying his trip and laying out the arguments. I, I thought personally it was a little defensive. Um, but uh, I think he's getting ready to take the hit. But for the voters um, in November, this this is necessary. He had to be seen as doing something, 
right? We got, what are the numbers? 9% inflation, $120 per barrel um, and $10 a gallon in California. That That's not going to win you. Never mind the house. The house is gone already. That might lose you the Senate. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, obviously in the U.S., all they're talking about is the price of gasoline. It's a major change. It's almost doubled. It's impacting every aspect of the American economy. Um, and just to point out, it wasn't that the Saudis, they did nothing to increase, you know, the oil. There are a lot of Americans who think that, you know, Biden is going there because he's trying to convince the Saudis to reduce it because somehow they had something to do with it. But they didn't. This increase in oil obviously has to do with the conflict in Ukraine with Russia. Um, but can Biden bring if he were to bring back something, some help from the Saudis with respect to oil prices? Do you think that might soften the tone a little bit in his own party? Because if you can reduce the cost of gasoline, that's a huge achievement in this country today. Yeah, it, it would be huge, regrettably. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, listen, uh, uh, this is America, right? I want I want our president to succeed. Um you know, regardless of what, you know, what the president and I served um, in government. Um, but I think, you know, the Saudis have already come forward and said, hey, we're going to bring on 250,000 barrels per day more. They may have a surge capacity of another million, two million barrels. Um, but economically, you don't want them to go to the, the maximum. Then there's nowhere to go from there. And markets don't like that either. Um, so just and they don't want to break with OPEC plus, which is OPEC plus Russia. Right. Um, they worked very hard for this sort of diplomatic achievement to get this coordination with with Russia. So I think you get a couple hundred thousand barrels more, maybe another hundred and fifty. Um, but even if you got a million barrels or two million barrels on the market, Ray, I think it's important for American consumers to know it may not make a great deal of difference to us because that that oil isn't coming to us. Right. It's going on the global market. And what's more, if you listen to the Saudis and what I heard when I was in Riyadh and, and uh, Dahran, I went to Aramco my last trip, you know, a month and a half ago to Saudi. Um, you know, they tell you, well, you know, production, we can do a little bit more, but production isn't the problem. The problem is refining capacity that because, among other reasons, oil companies have been told and are being told every day now by this administration, they're going to be put out of business in 10 years or so. Why are they going to spend billions of dollars more to build more refineries that aren't going to be used when we go green? But the fact is we're going to have oil, even as we go green, in the mix and an important part of the mix for the next couple decades, couple, three decades, four decades, maybe. Well, and of course, he has other uh, aspects and reasons for going to the Middle East. One is Israel. Um, there's a big pro-Israel movement here in the United States. It has a great impact on the elections. Um, you know, there's been this uh, hope uh, among the supporters of Israel that the Saudis would, you know, begin the steps of normalization, as have other Gulf countries. Um, I, Dennis Ross explained that there was a positive side to that in terms of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Um, is, is that a? Do you think that that the bringing the Saudis and Israel together is a bigger issue than trying to get the cost of gas uh, oil down? Well, you, you don't have to go either or. Um, I don't think well, I don't think the administration trades one for the other. Um, you know, I was in Saudi uh, during the, the Trump administration with, with Secretary Pompeo, and we went up to Neom for a meeting with Mohammed bin Salman, the Crown Prince, and it was reported at the time that Benjamin Netanyahu was also there. 
Um, can't confirm or deny. Um, but there are reportedly very deep and ongoing senior level contacts between the Saudis and, um, and the Israelis. And they talk strategic stuff. The Wall Street Journal reported that uh, the Saudi chief of defense met with the Israeli chief of defense who met with the UAE and uh, Bahrain chief of defense with the Jordanians and the, the Egyptians would send come to discuss, you know, this sort of greater strategic cooperation. I think this is inevitable that the Saudis are moving in this direction. And it may be a generational thing. I think uh, King Salman is old school Arab nationalist, you know, uh, normalization, peace with the Palestinians first, then normalization with the Arab states. Um, uh, but, um, you know, nobody lives forever. And someday somebody else will be the king there. And I think there's a very pragmatic um, younger generation of leadership there um, who's modernizing domestically, socially, economically diversifying and also thinking about um, the benefits for the kingdom of um, increased economic and strategic ties with Israel. Do you think normalization could actually open the door to uh, a peace between Israel and the Palestinians? Would it have a, could it have a positive impact? Well, listen, I, I, I'm a, a big supporter of a two-state solution. I know every day that goes by, it becomes more difficult to to uh, establish that in Israel, you have a you know center-right government, such as it is for the time being. In uh, the Palestinian Authority, you've got Mahmoud Abbas, who's uh, going on 17 years into a six-year term. Um, you know, it's not you know uh, really energetic um, and uh, does not command. Uh, you know, he's not uh, innovative, cutting-edge leader anymore for the Palestinian people. Um, and so we're at a point where, you know, um, it needs help. And I don't think it's the United States that's going to be the bridge here. Um, I think that um, Arab states, as we saw in the Abraham Accords, as we're seeing increasingly, you've now got a third of the Arab countries who have peace agreements, normalization with Israel, right? You've got five out of 16 countries, give or take. Um, I think uh, the more there are, um, uh, you know, the more convincing can be done. Um, and sure, in the end, the Israelis are also going to have to make some uh, painful concession. But, um, you know, the Palestinians as well. And um, and it's going to have to be somebody who delivers them. And let's talk about the big gorilla in the room, and that's Iran, the threat from Iran. The JCPOA negotiations in Vienna have been going on endlessly. Um, I know that President Trump, you know, uh, you know, withdrew from that. President Biden has brought us back in, but really hasn't brought us back in. We're not, we're not back in yet. Right. We're at the table, but nothing seems to be happening. Yeah. What? And I'm sure that concerns a lot of the Gulf countries, including Saudi Arabia, about what Iran is doing and what they continue to do. How impactful is that? Is this trip on that issue? Well, listen, I, that's the point of disagreement with the United States and all these Gulf countries and Israel. Um, which is the Biden administration wants to get back into the JCPOA. They think that the benefits of a return to the nuclear agreement um, outweigh um, all the sanctions relief and the downsides of that. And of course, the Biden administration says you get eight years of um, you know, get out of jail free card, essentially without Iran running toward the bomb. Um, but I, I think uh, the assessment that I have and that many of my colleagues has is that after two years, the Iranians are no longer restricted by the JCPOA uh, restrictions on, on proliferation and development of uh, advanced ballistic missiles. And then after two more years after that, they're running even more advanced uh, centrifuges. 
right? And we know that they already went up to 60%. We know, we don't know the previous military dimensions, you know, the, the IAEA found nuclear material all over Iran that they have not explained. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think all these countries are very concerned about the nuclear side, but the point that the United States, I mean, Biden administration can make the argument on the nuclear front that it's worth it to get back in. I disagree, but they can make that. Um, but what they can't do, and what happened last time they made this agreement, was essentially that Iran got carte blanche to do anything else they wanted to do in the region with their terrorist uh, proxies, whether that's the Houthi'in in, uh, in Yemen, whether it's the Fatimun in Syria, whether it's the Hashid in Iraq or Hezbollah in Lebanon. And they got this huge sanctions relief from the last from the deal during the Obama administration. And these terrorist organizations were flushed with cash and attacked their neighbors. And um, I think these neighbors and Israel are rightly concerned about what we, the United States, are going to do about that. Um, you know, how we are going to support these countries to help them better defend themselves and what type of leadership role the administration will take in this. And um, I, don't, I don't think we've been incredibly forthcoming. I think it's good that we're trying to coordinate this missile defense and strategic uh, cooperation, but I think we have to do more. And play the devil's advocate, maybe just tell me, uh, what's the worst thing that could happen when this trip is over? What is the best thing that could happen when this trip is over? What do you? What well, are the two ends that we're looking at? And do you think we're going to end up in the middle, or will things stay the same? Uh, tell us what the worst is and what the... Well, okay, the, the worst is, is easy. I mean, uh, even a week or two ago, President Biden was saying publicly, I'm not going to meet Mohammed bin Salman. I'm meeting, meeting a whole bunch of Arab leaders. I'm meeting the Saudi leadership team and Mohammed bin Salman will be there. Now, you don't get a picture of those two together. Yeah. <laughs> the president says, I didn't meet with him. I met with his dad. Um, that's not going to go well. Um, you know, I think that the, you know, the president has to go all in. You know, hey, we had a problem with this. We're moving on, right? We designated 17 Saudi officials and a couple more. And, um, you know, let's repair this relationship. Um, but... Maybe he gets stuck. Maybe, maybe there's a somebody doesn't get into the room. You can imagine uh, that not going well. And I think the president's not going to come away exactly what he wants to with. You know, they might get all kinds of um, Saudi uh, investment, uh, you know, pledges in the United States. I think you're going to get that. Um, I think there's going to be some positive things, but um, something like that could really foul it up. Um, the best thing, um, you know, I, I think it's not not realistic, but the best thing would be if an Israeli official gets on that airplane and flies to, to Jeddah with the president. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think the Saudis are there yet, but I think if the president quietly is able to move the ball on this type of regional security cooperation, um, gets other states buy-in, you know, not everybody has to own up to it, right? Saudi Arabia, no peace treaty, Israel, fine, quiet cooperation. Qatar, you know, they, they apparently were in the room, according to the Wall Street Journal. They don't have to own up to it either. Right. Um, let's have cooperation. Let's not brag about it. But uh, I think that would be the best thing that could could happen. And uh, the, I guess uh, just we only got a couple minutes left. And by the way, I just want to remind my listeners, we're, we're honored to have David Schenker. He's the former deputy assistant secretary for near assistant East. secretary, right? Assistant deputy secretary. assistant. Yeah, it's just my, mis- no, no, my- assistant secretary, not deputy. Oh, I, I apologize. That no, I former assistant secretary. 
I was giving you two dep- demotions, deputy and assistant, right? That's no. less than an assistant. I apologize. No, no, no Former worries. assistant secretary for Near Eastern Affairs, now with the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. Uh, and we are talking about President Biden's uh, visit. He's in Israel today. He's going to meet with Mahmoud Abbas, I believe, maybe tomorrow. And then at the end of the week, he will be in uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, and uh, so it... Uh, Better ties maybe with Israel, stronger, you know, policies against the Iranians, uh, increased gas. Those are the three topics, I think, or increased oil. Those are the three topics that Americans are kind of looking at this for. If it doesn't work, he comes back into political turmoil going into midterm elections um, and it could backfire on him, can't it? Yeah, I mean, he's not going to come home with the oil, right? Uh, and they're going to put lipstick on a pig. Um, but I still think the trip will have been useful to put the sort of bumpy road of the past 18 months with Saudi Arabia behind us. And even if we don't come to agreement with our Arab partners and with Israel on the best approach to Iran going forward, at least we can get a better understanding of where we're all at and how to deconflict, even if we can't are not going to fully coordinate moving forward. Any final thoughts at all on that on maybe something that I didn't ask you that uh, you think is important that uh, I you know that I didn't bring up? Well, no, Ray, I think you I hit the, I think you hit the main points. I mean, it'd be interesting if the Palestinians asked the uh, the uh, the United States to reopen the PLO office in Washington. Uh, I don't know how that plays out. Um, whether that's something that uh, the administration will will traffic in, or or uh, you know uh, whether it's uh, too much for the the road to bear, but. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, well, I'm glad the president's finally gone. Um, everybody talks about the U.S. leaving the Middle East. We're not leaving the Middle East. The Middle East is still of critical importance to us and to our allies um, and to the global um, economy. Um, without the Middle East, there is a meltdown. Um, so um, it's critical importance. We are present. Our, our embassies are huge. We still have a quite a large military presence. And so... Uh, Anyway, it's, uh, I'm glad he's gone. I'm glad he's showing interest, um, high-level interest, and um, it's a pleasure to be with you. All right, David. Listen, again, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. David Schenker, former assistant secretary for Near Eastern Affairs with the Washington Institute now, uh, now with the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. Thank you so much, David. My pleasure. Good to be with you. It was a, I, I hope maybe we can bring you back after the trip to look back and, you know, make positive, negative, whatever happens. I know it's going to be a big topic uh, over the next few weeks. So thank you again for joining us. Great to be with you. And for all you out there, uh, I appreciate you listening to the radio show, whether you're in Detroit or Washington, D.C., uh, or in Chicago, where you might be listening on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arab News, where we got a lot of people that are talking right now and chatting on that Facebook page about what we've been talking about. You can read the story about today's interview on uh, uh, tomorrow's edition of the Arab News at ArabNews.com. And you can also read the story that I did uh, in that interview with Dennis Ross. I'll uh, talk to you next week when we have more guests and more discussion about Arab Americans and issues in the Middle East. Thank you, everybody.